Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Zamnesia Talks. In this episode we'll be talking to British electronic musician John Hopkins about his latest album, Music for Psychedelic Therapy. Uh, so I was thinking I've got some questions, but also it can be quite freeform as well, so take it wherever you are interested to okay. go as the conversation goes. Nice. Um, so the first question, I'll jump right in. Uh, what caused you to become interested in psychedelics? Is that like a single event or did it grow over time? Um, my relationship with them is quite long and complex. Um, so it started um, as a teenager when I was kind of experimenting with cannabis, um, which doesn't get called a psychedelic, but for me it's kind of one of the strongest there is. Um, and I didn't really know what I was doing and I had I definitely had too much of it. But <clears throat> I think what happened as a result of those experiments was a kind of inner world opening up to me um, that I really had no idea existed. And it kind of pulled the veil back and showed me just this kind of inner world of of miracles and it was quite but they were always very blissful experiences you know, in, always in combination with music as well like extreme body rush and like incredible visual imagery and um all kinds of stuff but then but then after a couple of years of that i think um it, it just stopped working for me and i was like chasing that place and unable to get there and um and actually it started to have a detrimental effect on me so i i stopped completely and i didn't actually do any more psychedelics until i was about eight years older than that so when i was about 26 27 um and in that time i'd actually learned to meditate and i'd learned breathing techniques and so i think i felt a little bit more grounded in myself and a little bit more um uh, like i had the capability to navigate that that internal world so yeah for yeah. sure i think being able to somewhat dispassionately observe what's going on in your mind really helps make the most of the psychedelic experience rather than just being a sort of confusing mess. Yes, exactly, exactly. So then when I came back to do um, mushrooms for the first time, it was in an incredibly safe and beautiful environment um, on a beach in Scotland with a whole load of my oldest friends. And, you know, well, I wouldn't describe it as ceremonial. It was more kind of, you know, drinking and having a whole load of mushrooms. But it was just so spectacular and so peaceful and there was so much laughter and it it kind of i got a full kind of awakening of um the majesty of nature as the dawn came up and i was just staring at everything with wonder as if for the first time so you know we've all had those moments on mushrooms and it was it was pretty life pretty life-changing stuff really yeah absolutely i think the the natural world part of it is a big thing for sure yeah and i remember thinking at the time isn't it incredible that, that you can pick a mushroom out of the ground and and it actually gives you an experience that makes you want to protect the ecosphere like that produced that mushroom so it's almost like it felt you know like the uh like a part of the part of the sort of the preservation the self-preservation technique that the earth has within it you know yeah quite a beautiful way of thinking about it actually so do you have a specific view of the the psychedelic experience what it is or well there's so many i mean they're all they've all been very different really depending on the substance um the psilocybin experience for me there's the kind of out outer looking ones you know like the ones i just described and there's the ones where you go deep on an intentional inner journey 
um, and those can be much more intense. Um, and the DMT experience sits entirely apart from that as a whole different different plane of reality, which doesn't seem to have anything to do with our petty human interests. Um, and then, yeah, that's just a completely different thing that just doesn't relate back to... Whereas psilocybin will for, will for sure kind of guide you into, um, you know, maybe areas you need to look at within your life. Um, yeah, definitely. I think psilocybin is certainly, I think guide is a good mm. word for it. I find it always always seems to hold your hand and yes. kind of know, know what's best. Even when it takes you to dark places, it seems to do something quite nice. Yes, although if you get the doses wrong, I mean, I've heard this, um, I've been a bit cautious myself because I don't want that experience, but I've heard that the mushrooms can get pretty tricksy and they have. it's almost like they have their own strange agendas um, once you go into the, the really ludicrous doses, but then that, that's not something I do. So uh, with your album, Music for Psychedelic Therapy, I've been intrigued to try it out for a while, and I did. And I took mushrooms with an MAOI. Oh, wow. And uh, that was that was oh. like, it was a bit more akin to a DMT. Really? Therapy. How long did it last then? It lasted probably about oh. eight hours, but I I peaked higher than I've ever peaked Jeez. before and stayed flat flatline at that peak for the entire that time. That sounds pretty full on. Yeah, it was. I was having kind of visions and mm. things. It was quite weird, yeah, but quite spectacular. Yeah. And your album, your album was a very good part of it. So the geez. problem is with the album is that it, like it needs to be eight hours long. Really, um, the thing is, it would take me eight years to make that. But um, I mean, I will do other volumes of it for sure. But yeah, it, it it's the re- it's the length of time for for ketamine. Really, that's the one that it kind of sits over best. Um, but yeah, I think. Did you design it specifically for that? I or? mean, not in a conscious way, but the. I mean, again, ketamine doesn't get called a psychedelic, but for me, if you take psychedelic at its at its meaning as um, mind revealing, then for me, it's about as psychedelic as they come. Um, so, what I think, where I think the album comes from, is a mixture of ketamine experiences and DMT experiences. And I think, like a lot of the sounds, are actually much more related to the DMT experiences, but they're contained within um, the what the, the experience that ketamine provides. Um, which has a certain safety and lack of fear to it and, and is short as well. So, you know, I think there's something... It, and also for me, and I think I've heard this, a lot of people agree with this general statement that music, um, particularly immersive sound-designed music like this, takes on such a physical quality on ketamine and um, it becomes your, your your whole universe, your whole place that you inhabit and... So for me, it was like having this superpower almost of being able to create a universe and then inhabit it for an hour. Um, like you're making a kind of solid, sonic palace and then you can go and hang out in there. So that was it's a bit like a dream thing, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think the sonic palace thing is interesting because I was trying to kind of meditate through it when I was listening to it and had these sort of like fractal but not shifting Mm. over time this sort of like structural world opened up behind my eyes and took a very like it was dimensions I couldn't comprehend but it was very much a kind of a form a strict not strict Mm. it was very very present it was really interesting yeah well it's um yeah I mean when I was coming to the closing stages of making it I really I started to feel like um it was no, I think I was using ketamine journeys just maybe every three weeks just to test it to see how it was working. And, you know, there was this intuitive knowledge 
when it was finally correct, when there was finally nothing else that needed to be changed, that, that this was it. And what, what this is, I don't know, but I just knew that it was finished. And so there was this strange kind of intelligence behind the process that didn't feel like it came from me, but felt like it was, you know, a very intuitive thing. Okay, nice. And in on that note, when you were making it, did you set out with the idea of the entire piece forming a sort of trajectory for the person listening to it because I found that it seemed to have quite a strong sense of taking me to different places and then concluding or did that just happen organically? Yeah I mean my approach to writing music is always um, organic only so I never never plan anything in fact it was um, I mean the Tiles Caves section of the album was written first and that was actually intended to be a standalone piece of music um, which it you know, it was, I think, originally released in that way. But then when um, Sit Around the Fire appeared, which is the closing track of the album, I realised that I had the closing track of an album. Therefore, I needed to... That, that's when it triggered this idea that I was actually going to make a full record of this kind of stuff. So then it's really just about trusting that same intuition that I've trusted with all the other albums where you just you just keep working and it all falls into place. Um, and you just have to trust that that's going to happen because the, the subconscious is in charge. Yeah, absolutely. I think with creative pursuits, I think giving over to it and allowing it to take the lead is by far the best practice, or at least mm. for me as well. When it's, um, yeah, things take charge of themselves, I think. Yes, I think that's it. It's a process of uh, getting yourself out of the way, as they say. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And with so with the final track, mm. I found, given the kind of yeah, the trajectory of the whole experience. I found the words at the end um, were quite funny because they kind of, I found the, because of the way that builds, at first it's quite a kind of like egotistical trip and then there's this sort of disillusion mm -hmm. of the ego towards the end of it and then the words were kind of um, sort of like confirmed that in quite a beautiful way and it was almost quite funny. And kind <laughs> of, I don't know, just made it very friendly and very collective, made it much more of a sort of, it felt like a shared experience suddenly rather than one I'd gone through. Well, that's really nice. I mean, and, and something that's cool about the Ram Dass talk is that even whether you are aware of this when you're listening to it or not, is that he's not talking to a microphone, he's talking to a crowd of people. So in a okay. way, what you're hearing is a collective um, a collective experience and, and you can hear in his voice that he's completely tuned in. You know, he's like right in the present moment and he's really imparting that feeling to people and... To, to get the opportunity to include that on the album was was quite extraordinary, really. Um, it's still quite mysterious to me that it ended up that way. How long had you been aware of the recording for, or did you discover it in your search for making the album? No, it, it came from um, a musician called East Forest, who I'd been in touch with for a while, and he, um, he'd been working with Ram Dass before he died and like recording some of his final public utterances I guess um, and um, and then when after he died um, the Ramdas Foundation asked him to set some more of these talks that they'd found on tapes um, to music so he he got in touch with me and sent me this talk and, um, and then he sent me these amazing backing vocals that you can hear on the track and then I wrote the rest over that so it happened and it just ha just so happened to be it was quite synchronous because it, it appeared in, in my life just after I'd finished the Tyos piece and I was already realising just how rewarding and restorative it was to um, 
make this kind of music really make the kind of music that i feel i uh, was what i'm here to make i yeah. guess okay because i've um had a trip recently where i realized that there's a kind of strange conflict between everyone's life being fairly similar but also everyone <laughs> having quite quite a lonely existence and then i discovered discovered today mm. that you'd said something similar or written something similar about that yeah oh, really? I mean, according to the PR things I was sent anyway and uh, <laughs> I mean I don't yeah I, I don't remember the things no, no, I say choice it, um, yeah. but um, <laughs> it sounds like the sort of thing I mean I, I've, I've had that experience too and it's interesting yeah. I was at Glastonbury I was at Glastonbury a couple of weekends ago um, with a bunch of really super close friends and my brother and um, it was so much fun and you know the feeling of the magical bits of Glastonbury I, I don't really go to any of the huge areas but the the little, the special bits that you know, the things that are unique to Glastonbury. I really just remember feeling so vividly this um, blissful togetherness, and then it just shone into sharp focus just how much that isn't the case for us most of the time. And it was very sad, you know. It's just, it's at the same time really important to um, to tap into those collective bliss moments to remember that they're possible and that even that they should be the baseline. Um, you know, in a community, in a healthy community, that's how you might feel a lot of the time. But we all we've somehow backed ourselves into a corner of isolation, and we we often forget that. And um, and something that psychedelics can obviously do um, is just suddenly remind us of all that again. Um, you know, and remind us of what was always there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's quite connected to nature in the sense that when I'm on psychedelics, I feel a sense of kind of oneness and simple being that I also find sober in nature, but struggle to find elsewhere in the world. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah. the same in art, actually. I think art has a similar way of bringing people together in, under a single umbrella, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that for me feels like its purpose. It certainly feels like the purpose of... I mean, the, the, the reason I make this stuff is... I can't remember where this quote comes from, but you know, you make you make what you want to see in the world, or you make what you want to hear in the world. So this music doesn't that I was making for this album didn't exist, but I needed I needed it to exist primarily for myself. And then if it's going to work for me, then hopefully it will work for others. And then it's been extraordinary releasing it because obviously it's a very non-commercial type of album um, that can't be played on the radio and has to find its way out organically, but. It's been doing that in a in an interesting and slow burn kind of way, and when I meet people who um, I meet people at various events, whether they're album based events or gigs of my normal kind, which are obviously much more about dancing and stuff, um, I found that there've been some really, I mean, the, the, more than I dreamt of. Really, the, the responses of people who've found it genuinely helpful um, in in ways that. You know, in particular, in relating to things like grief and um, understanding grief and giving perspective on grief, that seems to be something that it's done for people, which is, I, I don't know how it's doing that, but it's, you know, there was my own heartbreak is kind of included in there, um, just because, you know, everything you write includes all of your own experiences. And even though I don't, I've never experienced um, the loss of a loved one in terms of death, I have obviously experienced loss of people and loved ones in in my life and um so th there's current there's undercurrents of heartbreak in there which i think music can give a i don't know it can give a sense to in a way it doesn't it it can make things 
they can poeticize things which are otherwise very difficult to live through yeah i'm sure i guess it's just i guess it's just pure expression really isn't it yeah and in in particular music without lyrics you know you can be it's, it's interesting because i'm like basically being as honest as it's possible to be with this record about my internal world and my own experiences but it's because it's abstract no one can actually fully you know they'll be able to interpret it however they want and, and people will hear different things in it but i just know i know that it's like a direct translation of my my core self and that's um it's, it's an amazing privilege to be able to do that really yeah i guess if you strip away language and words and you maybe strip away the ego a little bit as well don't you because you're not so worried about explaining yourself in any sort of like concrete terms yeah this this was a very egoless release in a way because obviously like i said it's not it doesn't have the potential to be commercially successful and i wasn't thinking about that kind of thing and not that i'm fixated on that normally <laughs> because i wouldn't have spent 20 years making instrumental music like that some of which is quite strange um but but you know there was maybe i always subconsciously had like a part of me is thinking you know this has to work in front of a crowd or whatever and i just didn't think about any of that stuff i just was was very pure as an experience and um to make so yeah that was quite that was quite a beautiful refreshing change okay nice is it something you're able to return to yourself or are you or, or could you not do that in terms of taking some psychedelics and getting something from it definitely i mean for me um the trick is not listening to it for long periods of time so that it retains that special quality and with other albums of mine i mean the, the real bliss for me is in the creation phase because by the time it's um finished and released i've built a live show of it and then i have to start playing it all the time and then the tracks lose their magic um at least for a while until you start to work out interesting new live variations okay. of them but because this out al- because this album can't be performed um you know it is what it is it, it, I, we have these immersive playback ceremonial events but that's just um really just the, hearing the album on multi-channels and you know lying back and absorbing it's not about performance so basically i haven't had to listen i haven't had to ever over listen okay. to it which means I, you know, even if I, I might, I might like not listen to it for six months, and then I'll be, I'll find that I'm able to get a, to have an amazing um, trip, which involves it. Fantastic. Um, so that's that. Yeah, that's really nice because, yeah, I mean, that was ultimately the, the purpose. That must be quite a beautiful experience as well, because then your past self is taking your present self on a journey. It's true. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, lost myself now uh so i i read that you kind of or someone else played back certain recordings and things you had in a natural setting and then re-recorded them and sent them back to you um mm. and i think that sort of very natural sound is quite tangible throughout the whole album which f- for me especially made it feel i think that added to the sense of space because you can hear kind of openness at points and you can hear yeah, just the scent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the, uh, that was me and my friend Dan, who records under the name Seven Rays. He's um, he's someone that I've shared many DMT experiences with, and I think what not not that I was thinking about it particularly consciously when we were making it, but I wanted to try and put into an album that feeling that you get um, when you briefly walk out of the of the room you've been tripping in into the night. You know, when you when you have to step out for some reason and there's just 
the moon is up and there's you know the silent in this case the, um the woods in devon um you might hear an owl or you might you might you know you might just be out just going through a piss or whatever but there's this certain you get confronted with such a different world there for a second um and then when you go back inside the room and the music's still playing and the, and the trip almost has paused and it then it continues again so like you'll you'll notice moments like that on the record in the second half in particular um this like this idea of going in and out of the room and then when you're back in you're really back in again and that's yeah that is certainly something that i remember someone describing that that feeling like the room starts to take on an energy you know or the acid room i've heard that term before people can walk into it and feel this tangible energy in there of the of the experiences that yeah for sure it's funny that you uh, said mentioned the owl as well because there's a moment in the album with the sound of an owl and i remember that was a beautiful opening up this sort of like peace and just quiet and calm which i guess exactly what you described but well, exactly. So all those things, all those moments, all the birds that you hear there are just what happened to be there. That's the thing. There was no, there was no like placement. There's no library sounds. There's no like, oh, I need an owl here. It's like Dan was outside smoking his pipe under the moonlight, and he was he did you know a lot of the field recordings on there come from him. The ones that aren't from Ecuador, um, and that's you know that owl just happened to be there. So. <laughs> It's like okay, the owl clearly needs to go on the record as well. I'm just, just allowing um, myself to trust the, the fact that these things want to want to be involved. It's quite nice. beautiful. That it's a fusion of Ecuadorian rainforest and Devon. Yeah, I mean, it's just, this is really just again more about that translation of my life experience into music. So you know, the album was born in Ecuador for sure, but the reality of my most of my psychedelic experiences has been the woodlands in, in England. Um, and I'm becoming increasingly interested in that as, um, you know, because we had our own, we once had our own indigenous wisdom here. And of course it's been largely obliterated, but there's there are people that still know about that stuff. And you can certainly feel it when you go to places like Devon and uh, Cornwall and uh, and actually and up in the Scottish islands as well. And in, and in Wales and Ireland, there's, there's more of that magic still there, I think. And I've become... I'm becoming very interested in that these days, and there tends to be this fixation on ayahuasca and and huachuma, and uh, which obviously are. I mean, that those traditions have been preserved, and everyone knows about them. But we had our own ones here, and I'm very interested to learn more about that. And we had our own shamanic ways and our own shamanic music and all that stuff. So, um, this is my equivalent of that. Really, was to include include a lot of uh, these these kind of soundscapes that i experienced and i grew up with yeah you know i've got a theory that bristol's uh alternative kind of drug culture is a direct thread Mm. from kind of pagan druid religion in the west country thousands of years ago using mushrooms and uh i'd be fully up for believing that yeah yeah i mean that's that magic is there and i don't think it's all by any means all gone um i i think something i'm going to become interested in is learning about our own mythologies and our own ancient history it's just so much of it is obscured and you know there was such a conscious effort to eradicate it by the well by many different groups of people in a row really but it's obviously christianity being yeah and even now i think kind of 
druid druidism i guess what it's called is kind of like druidry druidry it's kind of treated <laughs> possibly yeah it's treated as a joke whereas kind of shamanism from other cultures is revered as this mystical wonderful thing but as soon as you try and extract the uk's own history it becomes this sort of like viewed as like hippie nonsense and there's probably a lot of value in it as well well there definitely is i mean it'd be the same amount of value it's just that because the whole those kind of those indigenous cultures generally, whether here or there, um, didn't tend to include any written records and everything was oral tradition, which means once it's gone, it's gone. And that's difficult. Um, you know, there's there's just so much uncertainty about, for example, the origins of Stonehenge. There's no evidence it's actually to do with druids, but lots of druids go there. Um, I, I mean, we just don't really know is the truth. But it's uh, mysteries, are, mysteries are alluring as well. And I think what I love about making music about this kind of thing is that you don't you're not making any statements of fact you're just expressing a feeling and, and a feeling of a place and some of that magic from the land has found finds its way into music that's being made and you meditate i i gather yeah it's been a long process for me 20 22 years now i think roughly wonderful um lots of different kinds for the the one I learnt that's been most powerful was transcendental meditation that was about eight years ago I think I learnt that okay um and that's been the, that was the biggest game changer for me but kundalini meditation and lots of different types of breath work and yoga as well have all been very important yeah and do you engage with these things when on psychedelics uh breath work definitely um there's never really been any need to do tm on psychedelics I think I don't know. It's it's pretty trippy as it is. Um, uh, yeah, when I, I don't know about you, but on mushrooms, I always feel a great urge to stretch and yeah. move my body in various yogic ways. It just because I think it it really puts you in touch with where your tension is held. Yeah. So there's always a desire to. Yeah. Yeah, physical movement on mushrooms that. is a incredible feeling. You've, yeah. 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 Um, and do you have a favorite psychedelic or just general drug? Um, beer, frankly. <laughs> but aside from that, I think um, I, I go through phases. DMT has to be credited as the most influential or most powerful, but I, I may never do it again. I feel like I don't need an experience that extreme to happen again. I did. I felt like I was in school when I was doing that, and I had to learn <laughs> those lessons. Lessons were necessary to make this album, but now I've made it, I'm not sure if I need to re-enter. So I suppose really... Um, ketamine would be the one because I find there's I mean I have to make sure I don't take it very often because I'm aware that it has this Moorish quality which other psychedelics don't have in the same way um, but there's something about the length of it and the fact that it, yeah you can be completely clear of it within an hour and a half and and yet you're able to access and almost reorder very deep parts of yourself into a healthier state and that to me feels like um quite a profound and very modern a very a, me, a medicine that's like very necessary in the, in the modern um, situation we're in fascinating I have to re- rediscover it I ruined ketamine for myself many years ago and I've been scared of, many scared of it ever since <laughs> yeah <laughs> well if it, if it helps um, so did I like so I there's just this is the problem with obviously everything being on the black market is that there's no education and there's no proper regulation around things so I took loads of it when I was 28 um, whilst after having drunk like four pints, having no idea that they are very dangerous to to interact with each other, um, 
and I was very sick and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. It was like going upside down backwards on a roller coaster for an hour whilst being sick. It was just like, it just never ending hell. So I didn't take it again for so many years until it was um, reintroduced, um, you know, as its more medicinal properties were starting to be known. And I started to realize that that kind of grotty, like the term K-hole is, is almost offensive in a way because it's such a sacred space. The idea of doing something like that at a club is, for me, the least appealing. Okay, um, it's not safe. Um, but I would say, from a, you know, meditate and make an intentional space at home and, and do a sensible amount um, to see how your tolerance is, and, and then the right music and you know the right room and maybe the right person to sit for you is uh, would be the way to re-enter if you were going to. Yeah. Do you use trip sitters? Because I've always found it a strange idea in the sense that unless you're with someone who understands these experiences with incredible empathy I find them just sober people incredibly unsettling when I'm on these drugs oh yeah no it has to be <laughs> someone who's it has to be someone who's who know who you know I think who you actually know quite well and who is either on a small dose themselves or is just quite inherently psychedelic I mean I think yeah doing it with some random sober person would be I would I would feel their presence to be yeah uh, very unhelpful but I mean with, with ketamine I, it tends to be solo but um, with DMT it would always be because it's only a 15 minute trip it would be me and Dan and um, we would just take it, take it in turns to sit for the other and that's so that that's kind of easy you know I did I once did DMT with my friend and we it was the weirdest experience of my life we um neither of us spoke about it while it was happening and then afterwards mm -hmm. afterwards i was like i didn't know who i was during that and he was like yeah neither did i and we'd merged consciousnesses somewhere in the middle uh, and I, I, yeah. I, I felt in, in the same way that a certain key in music has a certain feel i, mm. I just had this sense of what it felt like to be him very that's very incredible weird. And it, that doesn't surprise me at all in a way but it's also this is just how magical it, it all is really and and actually that happens with ketamine as well you you can psychically communicate i'm convinced of this okay um you can definitely if you're in the room with someone doing it and you're you're doing it in the right way and you're you, you're kind of flying along together and you communicating energetically rather than verbally and that that genuinely feels true to me it's obviously not something you can measure and it sounds a bit like magical thinking but it's i've just experienced it so many times and I don't care. It don't even doesn't really matter whether it's true or not because that's the experience, you know. Yeah, I think mine's. I think mine's able, or even if it's through the body, still in some subtle way we don't understand. Certainly have means to communicate, other than yeah, other than language. Yeah, um, um, I'm afraid, unfortunately, that I have another interview <coughs> starting quite soon. They they said this was half an hour. Uh, uh, so do you feel like you have enough? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Sorry to cut, cut it short if you had more questions. Okay. But, um, Can I ask you two quick-fire questions? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Are there any other pieces of music you'd recommend for psychedelic therapy other than your own? There's Well, there's not, there's not many kind of long-form ones. That's why I wanted to make a long-form record. But, I mean, there's a whole load of short pieces. Um, one of my favourites ever is um, called Vaporware Number no. 1 by Donato Dozzi. Okay. Um, and then Evening Side by Fortet. Um, okay, yeah. There's some tracks on the new Kelly Lee Owens album. Um, I can't remember all the names, but there's this beautiful one um, named after the Welsh word for breath, and she keeps intoning that. And um, so I would highly recommend people listen to the ambient tracks that are on that album as well. Okay, wonderful. Cheers. And finally, this one's just for me because I've been wondering it for years. 
on Immunity, the song, which is very, mm. very dear to me, it's one I return to quite regularly. Uh, what is oh, the sample thanks. for the kind of like the? It's not quite percussion, but it keeps the beat all the way through. Oh, it's the piano pedal. Ah, uh, okay. It's the um, it's the soft pedal of my piano, which creaks, and um, and then um, it's the sustain pedal as well. So basically, it's using those as the as the drums. Oh, wonderful. Okay, I've been trying to figure it out for years. <laughs> now I know. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, good. Awesome, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, that was a really nice chat. Um, yeah. Have a nice weekend. Awesome. Thank you very Cheers. much.